everyone, this is Nishchil Dua, and welcome to the Remote Work Summit. On the panel now, we have Katie, an author and the VP of Engineering at Buffer. Welcome to the summit, Katie. Thank you so much, Nishchil. It's really wonderful to be here. Uh, it's, it's a real pleasure to have you on board because uh, I would really want to learn from you on how you're leading a huge engineering team and that in a fully remote fashion. So I feel that's something that's been missing on the, in, the, in the past uh, at our summit. So I'm really looking forward to this, this discussion. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Yeah, likewise. It's, I think more and more of us are in this situation, and I'm very happy to be able to share what I've learned so far. Excellent. Let's just deep dive into it. Uh, but, but you know, uh, if you could just give us a quick overview of what have you done so far, your background, it really help us put things in perspective. Absolutely. So I am a self-taught developer who studied philosophy and economics. I tinkered with web development on the side and I got into it running my own agency, working freelance, working with clients. I'm sure many of you can relate to that. It's very rewarding. I gained a lot of entrepreneurial experience, but it was also really hard work. I then wanted to be more of a make on an ongoing basis and to be frank, not have to chase down clients and figure out how to tell them that good, fast, cheap is not a thing. Um, so I joined a startup working remotely, um, a South African startup called Lakislav, which is fantastic. I am still um, great friends with all the devs there. And I worked there for a while and it was during this time when I was a remote worker that I discovered um, the world of remote work, the buffer blog, thought leaders in the space, that, that term is terrible, but that was where I got into how do I personally be a better remote developer? I was the first remote dev on this team and I really didn't want to give remote a bad name. So I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that and you know, wanting to make sure you do all the good things. And if you're here for that, like welcome, this is, this is the right place to be. Um, so through that experience, I discovered Buffer. I really admired the company. I joined as a software engineer four years ago. And from there, I grew with the company. We were about 15 um, devs when I joined. And I became their first engineering manager officially when the company brought in management in a more structured sense. And um, over that time I grew with the team, I became a director, I recruited um, a lot of our current team. We grew quite rapidly over that phase in the company's life. I hired about two people a month and built out the team fairly quickly from 15 to the 37 we are now and developed other engineering managers from the developers on the team that were interested and also hired in some truly fantastic managers from the outside. And that was a, a really wonderful experience. And for the past year and a half, I've been um, the VP of engineering. So what that looks like right now is I report directly to our CEO, Joel, he's also our founder. And I work really closely partnering with the CTO, who's our technical lead and visionary of all. And my job is to really support our engineering managers and make sure that we have a structure that is just a really well-functioning, effective engineering team where people can do their best work and have a really satisfying, productive time at work. As you might know, if you follow me on Twitter or if you've read any of my posts, I believe that distributed teams are the future. And I also champion, pers champion personal flourishing. I think these two things go really well together as well. That's a really interesting journey, Katie. I think uh, going from a philosophy and economics major all the way to VP of engineering, that, that's quite remarkable because at least in today's world, I know a lot of people, uh, my friends and my colleagues, who have been uh, you know, studying engineering for the longest time and my brother himself. So I think that's a remarkable mm. journey, what you've picked up along the way. Uh, curious to that. Thank you. And uh, Thank you. you know, uh, so, so, <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, you did talk about how uh, distributed teams are the future. I think let's just quickly discuss that as well. What do you think about remote work as a practice and where do you think it's headed? Where are we right now? So just a quick overview of what your thoughts are on remote work. Mm -hmm. Well, right now, um, I just heard from an uh, industry peer I talked to a lot who organizes the lead dev events that apparently at this point in time, 74% of software developers work from home or work remotely at least some of the time. I mean, that that is literally three out of four developers are working from home at least some of the time. And that that's where we are today. That's not even the future of remote work or what's happening. I think right now what we're seeing with this global pandemic, which is a very scary situation to be in, we're also seeing the entire world suddenly go on a massive remote work crash course and just dive in the deep end as we try to figure out how technology can enable us to stay somewhat productive and stay somewhat connected to our teams um, while being in quarantine, while being in the grips of a global pandemic. So I think this is a case where a lot of the world has realized, okay, remote work, it's not so much a thing of the future as it's a thing of the present right now. It's something that technology has finally developed to the point where it's somewhat workable for most roles, most sort of knowledge worker roles to be done um, via online tools, video calls like what you're seeing here, um, online collaboration tools, something like Google Docs, code, design, marketing, a lot of these things are already using tools that live on the internet, that live online. And remote work is predicted to rise dramatically in the future. And that's for two reasons. One of the reasons is um, that the demand for skilled talent is forcing hiring companies, or basically every company, everyone that's hiring, it's most of them, uh, to look further afield to fill more niche positions. Like as roles become more and more specialized, it's no longer feasible to say, well, I'm only going to be hiring within four kilometers of my, my office where I'm right here. As we're looking to hire more and more specialized talent, as roles become more and more specialized, we're forced to go and find the person that can do that job, that is that right fit for what we need. And that person might not live in a commutable distance. So that's the first reason why we're doing remote work. And the second reason we're doing remote work is that people prefer, people like to not necessarily always work remotely, but to have that flexibility. So there's a huge movement in the workforce when we want to make it more equitable for women, um, more appealing to millennials and Gen Z. Um, these are people that for whatever reason, they tend to have a profile that values greater autonomy, a greater ability to control the environment, greater flexibility in their work. And in companies trying to attract this massive segment of basically the women and all the future workers that are younger than what um, our current workforce might be. We're seeing that trend shift to more flexible, more remote friendly, more remote options. Now, I want to be really clear that that's not fully remote. We're going to be an online only distributed team like Buffer is, but we're seeing more and more workplaces. If they want to attract the best of those workers, they want to offer those flexible options, those work from home options, those sure, if you want to go traveling, you can work from there. You can do the remote thing um, for some of the time, at least. Absolutely. So, so what I'm hearing is that, you know, organizations want access to the best people around the world and people want access to the best opportunities. And that, that makes a perfect case right. for why remote work uh, should be scaling, right? 
but but right. here's here's where the where the catch is. A lot of for a lot of people, it's a perception problem. For a lot of managers and you know people uh, who are leading uh, engineering teams specifically, they do have this mm-hmm. feeling that how do I know if a person is working from home uh, or not, and and how do I trust these people, <laughs> right? So as as a manager yeah. yourself, and and especially as someone who was a developer, and then you grew into this role, how does that experience and perception change over time for you? Yeah, so I am so glad you asked me that option, Nishal. It is the number one people, the number one question people ask me is, how do I know they're working? And my answer to that is, if watching people sit behind their computers is helping you know whether or not they are adding value to your organization, you have a management one-on-one crash course to take ASAP. Like that is just not a useful way to measure people's output, to measure their productivity. Um, if you are literally using buns and seats, um, presenteeism at the office to measure who is adding value, you're doing a lot of things really, really wrong. So in practice, what we happen to see with remote workers is that they overcompensate for this perception problem. They're aware that a lot of managers, for better or worse, use I can see you as you're doing something useful as a proxy. And because remote workers can't be seen in the same way, they actually tend to overcompensate by being overly productive and are more susceptible to burnout. So one of the biggest studies on this topic, which was conducted by Nicholas Bloom at Stanford on the um, Chinese company and um, travel company C-Trip, massive, massive company, and they studied whether their um, uh, call center operators were more or less productive when working from home. And it's easy to measure productivity because it's phone calls long, right? They found that the workers who were working from home got a full six days worth of work done in the five days a week. They found that they worked a full extra work day. And these results have since been replicated. And the hypothesis is that there are two reasons for this. The first thing is remote workers are more productive because they are less interrupted, they are able to control their environments, and they get more done. The second thing is remote workers work harder, sometimes unhealthily so, to try to prove to a mistrustful manager that they are not, in fact, um, you know, just at the beach or watching Netflix or, or not, in fact, getting anything done. Um, and my so my short answer to that is remote workers, the, the data says that they tend to actually be more productive, whether it's because they have something to prove or not, we don't know. Um, and secondly, if you're using I can see you as a measure for you're effective, you're doing something very wrong. You should find actual hard metrics that you can track because at the end of the day, an effective distributed team, it's the same thing as an effective team. And you should know whether or not your team's effective, regardless of whether you can see them or not. That's your job as a manager. Absolutely. So you should be focusing more on how to build a team that's more effective and more productive, whether it's co-located or distributed around the world, it doesn't really matter. Right. So I'm going to pick more on this uh, particular point. Is there a blueprint that you can help us with? Is there particular tips or strategies or tools that we could use uh, as managers to better hire people, better measure their productivity and better evaluate their performance. So what is the, what is that blueprint for a distributed virtual team? Yeah, absolutely. So you asked me three things in It's like, how do we hire people and how do we measure and track their um, performance? And is there a blueprint in general? So I would say there is a generic blueprint. Of course, how in fact you measure someone's productivity and output varies by role. You're not going to do it the same for software developers. You are going to be for marketer, right? Um, But let's just start there because the blueprint there is figure out what are the results, what are the deliverables that this role is expected to get and how do you track them. So perhaps you use a formula like OKRs where you have objectives and you have key results and you're looking for somebody to... 
improve reach by 3% in a marketing role. And you're looking for that as the um, sort of key result um, and the objective. And you also know that the results you're looking for, the deliverables are a certain number of blog posts, a certain number of podcasts, whatever it is. So the first thing you need to do is like, what are the actual results of this role? And what are the objectives and the key results that are gonna measure that? That's a very useful generic blueprint to know, is that role being effective? Is that productive? And that's actually the same, whether you're in a remote um, situation or whether you're in an office, right? With engineering, it's actually really easy because all code is on the internet in general. We tend to use tools like GitHub, GitLab, Bitbucket, whatever. Like you can literally see someone's commits. You can see what they're doing. You can watch them code virtually if you want. So I don't recommend that, um, but it, it's possible. So with engineering, that's quite easy. Um, but with any role that is a knowledge worker, role that has tangible results, your first thing is figure out what are those tangible results and deliverables and focus on results. You often hear that referred to as a results-only workplace. Most effective workplaces are results-focused workplaces and distributed teams especially so because results are the things you can see, so you need to focus on getting the results. That's how you know your remote work is working. When hiring somebody for whom remote work is going to be a good fit, you do want to think about that. Are they going to be able to get results in a remote environment? So my recommendation there is you look at the candidate and evaluate their past experience. Do they have experience working remotely? And if not directly remotely, do they have transferable skills where you might look for things like really strong communication skills, um, the ability to take initiative, times when this person has worked in a very autonomous way, being able to keep projects on track without needing to be sort of constantly with other people um, in a physical environment. So looking for those markers are really helpful. And then the second thing I like to do is have a very open conversation with the candidate about the challenges and pitfalls of being remote. I mean, one of the first ones is if you're highly extroverted and live for that after work happy hour, we're going to need to think how does that how does that adjust in a remote environment maybe you can work in a co-working space and you can still get that maybe remote work isn't for you and i think it's really important for companies to recognize that remote work is not going to be a great option for every single person and that's okay that's not a problem if you're not into remote work my advice is don't do it if somebody seems really hesitant about a remote job don't hire them right i agree 100 in fact you know that, that's what i yeah. tell a lot of people as well uh it might not be for everyone and it takes a lot yeah. of effort to actually accept that i do not want to work remotely right that for yeah. probably for me working from home is not the best case scenario because for a lot of people it just mm -hmm. seems like a privilege that they want to have but uh, only once you have that do you realize that you don't really want to work in this kind of an environment and that social ecosystem yeah. is very important for a lot of people so i hear you there mm -hmm. and um, yeah so the couple of points that you mentioned that you you know when you're hiring for a remote role look for good communication skills look for good collaboration skills ownership discipline and transparency of conversation yeah so those are definitely things that you could look for right uh, mm -hmm. now in terms of managing a remote team uh, what does the ideal workflow look like? Like, for example, for you, is there is there a process to how to do stand-ups, how to do code reviews? Uh, are there weekly uh, meetings, uh, monthly meetings? What, what kind of a structure is to be followed when you have a fully distributed right. virtual team? Uh, because you're managing a team of, I'm, I'm not sure, 30, 35 odd people roughly. So how do you manage that entire team? Right. 
Well, they're in fact sub teams that work together. It's not one sort of like large team of 37, don't recommend that. Um, and it varies. The, the, the real answer is that these different sub teams have um, different um, ways that they are most effective. So for example, at Buffer, our infrastructure team works extremely asynchronously. And that works really well for infrastructure because they're able to provide 24-7 on-call coverage. They're much more easily able to keep pushing forward big projects. Whereas for product engineering teams, we find that they work best when they have some time zone overlap. So those are tend, uh, usually distributed sort of between Europe and the West Coast. And this allows those teams to typically have, um, in some cases, daily stand-ups where they're actually getting together every day for 15 minutes and doing your sort of traditional remote stand-up. Only one of our teams actually does that. They've done it for a long time. It's really successful for them. Um, our other teams tend to do weekly team calls where they will meet for an hour once a week and they will go through what everybody's doing. Um, um, I was at um, Team Structures meeting once a week and um, working really well asynchronously for the rest of that time. Um, but we tend to have a pretty consistent engineering structure, which we've developed. It's a two-week cycle. It's roughly Kanban. There's a kickoff at the beginning of the two weeks. We're very, very clear on our goals and priorities. Um, we tend to update our status every single day. We tend to hand over projects across time zones so that people can not have knowledge silos because that happens really easily in a remote team. Um, we retro every two weeks how this process can be improved um, and implement those improvements and then kick off again the next um, two weeks. We've not always worked like this. You don't have to work like this, but I found that the team is a lot more effective when there's this sort of overarching guideline guardrails on how to maintain contact and consistent throughput in the remote team. Right. That definitely sounds like a lot of effort because, you know, uh, different teams, different structures, uh, what you have in place is a standard set of guidelines, but they're not really rules because each team can adapt to its own preferences. Like uh, the intro team yeah. is working async because they can support globally, whereas the product team is co-located in a similar time zone so that they can have a timely stand-up on a daily basis. And then other teams are having weekly hour-long meetings or conversations. So different structures and different teams based on what their preferences look like. And that allows them the ownership uh, the in individual team managers the ownership to also decide what works best for their team, I believe, right? Yeah. Perfect. Yes. So, uh, so we've discussed a bit of hiring. We've discussed a bit of uh, managing a, uh, an engineering team. Uh, how does the onboarding process look like? Is there a specific uh, pattern to it? Is there a process to be followed? Are there certain blueprints here as well? Or is it just another thing that, you know, uh, it, it works the same way as it does for a co-located team? So in a virtual team, if you're hiring someone new, is there an onboarding process for that new person? It is very detailed and very thorough. And it is not up to every manager to figure out how they're going to onboard the new person. <laughs> so this is sort of like the total opposite. Onboarding is very, very structured. It is very, very thorough. Um, and I recommend that because onboarding a remote person um, is going to make the difference between whether this new hire is successful or whether they just continue to flounder. The reason is they are not going to pick stuff up via osmosis in the same way that you can kind of get away with in a co-located team. So what we do with Buffer is we have a um, really, really detailed onboarding 30, 60, 90 day plan. The manager has their own plan with the manager's goals for how to support the new hire. 
these plans correspond. And the sort of first day will be really, really detailed with a lot of things to do this first day. The first week will be, you know, more detailed. And by the end of 90 days, it's kind of quite high level. It's like you should be independently owning this project or we expect you to be um, fully up to speed, able to um, work in this particular manner sort of with chickens every couple of days. So it, it starts off really detailed and it gets very high level. This is where we need you to be. And we give very sort of clear, explicit feedback at 30 days, at 60 days, and at 90 days with, are you meeting our expectations for where we expect you to be in the onboarding? Or is there work to do, work for us to do as a company, um, or something that's misaligned? The reason being, you really don't want to get to the end of 90 days and you're like, hmm, this hire is not productive. Did we mishire or did we onboard badly? You want to know at the end of 90 days, no, we onboarded as well as we could and we've mishired in this case. Or if somebody's not being productive at 30 days, 60 days, you want to catch that early and adjust your onboarding so that they are in fact successful. That's the point. The other thing we do is we allocate two buddies to each new hire. So there's the manager um, that has um, the 60, 30, 69 day plan for the employee and then the manager has their own goals. And then we have a role buddy and the job of the role buddy is to help do the sort of similar tasks with this new hire, answer any questions about the job, help them get set up, show them the ropes. Um, usually somebody that does the same job on the same team. If it's a very specialized job, as near as possible as we can get it. Okay. And then the second person we have is what we call a culture buddy. And the culture buddy is responsible for helping this person adjust to our team culture, helping them adjust to remote work, explaining to them all the nuances of how we interact with each other, what we value, what the norms are around scheduling meetings, how can they help their um, schedule be more productive, talking through them about how they're feeling about things. And the role buddy and the culture buddy regularly meet with the manager to kind of get this holistic view of, how is the person learning the ropes? How are they getting to grips with the culture? And from the manager's perspective, how well are they sort of staying on track with where we expected them to be for this role? So it's a very intensive, very focused onboarding process that we've honed over the last sort of seven years of our um, And we'll, we're going to keep improving it and iterating on it. I would say right now, the main problem with it is a lot of really boring checklists that can be difficult. So we're looking for how can we make it a little bit more exciting. <laughs> I understand that completely. No, in fact, uh, so just like you yeah. said, uh, in a virtual environment, there's no organic onboarding happening because people are not organically learning from each other, meeting each other, and just seeing what what's really happening. So a lot of the onboarding process actually needs to be either forced or pushed or actually made sure that it actually happens. You know, because you don't want to be uh, in a situation where you either, like you said, mishired or didn't onboard the person properly. So and and like you said, you've got a thirty, sixty, and ninety day checkpoints here. And you've got a two-part buddy system where you've got, of course, the manager who's looking at the person as well, but you've also got a role buddy and a cultural buddy to ensure that both the hard and the soft skills are taken into account. So that, that's a pretty neat, interesting uh, onboarding process. And uh, I agree that you know it could be a boring, long checklist, and it could definitely be made better over time. So we look forward to hearing from you on that as well. Interesting. So uh, yeah, I think uh, th that was a really insightful uh, discussion we had, Katie. And uh, if you're okay, I would like to start with a quick lightning round now, just you know, to, to wrap things up. Uh, just one back-to-back -back rapid fire questions. Great. Uh, so one role model that you can suggest to us, one person that you follow yourself or you could help us, uh, you know, someone for us to follow. 
I would say Kate Huston from Automatic. Interesting. Any background that you can offer us? Just a really strong leader that is currently um, leading a 700-person fully distributed team, and I think is very impressive with, with what she's been achieving. Perfect. Thank you for that. Uh, is there a book yeah. or a resource or a blog that you can suggest for us to read more about? Yes. I have just co-authored The Holloway Guide to Remote Work, which you can find at holloway.com slash g slash remote dash work. And that will be released on the 31st of this month, but you can apply for early access now. Is there one misconception that people have about remote work that you can just help us bust right now? One big misconception. Workers are lazy. I feel if you, if you just hire the right people, uh, those those problems would never happen, right? Because uh, there are all sorts of uh, you know habits out there. So you just need to make sure that your hiring process is fine-tuned enough to get the right people on board. Perfect. Uh, and is there is there a rich, ritual do you have? Is there a routine that you have to start or end your day on a daily basis? So anything you can share with us on that front? I wake up at the same time every day, 5.45. I make myself coffee. I light candles. I um, will chat with one of my partners and I will usually start the day with the meditation. I like the Headspace app. I find having a morning routine is really, really helpful. I don't recommend just sort of waking up whenever and the other thing is a small thing but get dressed properly for every day um i think that makes a big difference um you are a remote worker you are still a professional person for end of day routine yes i tend to pack up my computer and clear everything away and i zip it all up into my backpack and i put it away so i don't have a separate office room when i do work from home i will be working at a, a desk in um in the apartment's living room. So I do, I sort of like pack up my office and then it's, it's visually gone. And I find that helps to create some separation between my work and my life. There was a really funny comic the other day in the New Yorker. It was, I forget, do I work from home or do I live at work? So be careful about living at work. I agree, I agree on that. Uh, amazing, perfect. Thank you so much, Katie, for talking to us today. I think this was really insightful. And for a lot of engineers, for a lot of managers and developers who are watching this interview, they definitely learned a lot from you today. Uh, once again, thank you so much for joining us.